We're going to be looking at what was happening that prompted this psalm, what inspired it, and we'll find that in 1 Samuel 21, verses 10 through chapter 22. I'm going to be kind of going back to there. Uh, we won't really turn there. You can, you can look with me if you like. I'm just going to kind of summarize what's happening, and then we'll get into the study shortly. So the superscription in the NIV says that this psalm is of David when he pretended to be insane before Abimelech and who drove him away. So after this experience that, that he went through, he was delivered by God. He gives God all the credit and he fled to the cave of Adullam where he wrote this psalm. So he begins the book that is really born out of praise and thanksgiving for what God had done. And his, his troubles really all began in 1 Samuel 17, the story where he uh, slew Goliath. He uh, became really popular with the people. He gained fame in their eyes, favor, but King Saul really resented him says in 1 Samuel 18.6 that when returning from the battle of the Philistines that all the women from all the towns of Israel came out in celebration with singing, joy, music, saying back and forth to each other, Saul has killed his thousands, David his tens of thousands. Well, as you can imagine, this didn't sit well with Saul who, who felt one-upped by David. So... It, it humiliated him and angered him, and he thought, what more can there be but the kingdom? So his resentment turned murderous. He twice threw a javelin at David while he played music before him. Um, because he had killed Goliath, he offered his oldest daughter to him and said, only be brave and fight the Lord's battles for me. But his motive was that the Philistines would overtake him and kill him and that he wouldn't have to, and his troubles would be over with. So David escaped that. He later ordered some thugs to go up and ambush David in his bed. And Saul's second daughter alerted him to that. He escaped that. And it says that after that, he just personally searched the countryside, seeking to kill David. He was David's enemy forever from that time on. It just didn't sit well with him. So in fleeing for his life, David, he fled to Nob, to the priest Ahimelech, and he'd pretty much taken things into his own hands. We don't see anywhere where he calls out on the Lord here. He lied to Ahimelech. Pretty much four lies came out in one breath. Uh, the priest was worried why he was alone. Didn't seem right. He uh, lied saying he was on the king's business and that he could tell no man. He said he was supposed to meet his men at a certain time. That's why he was alone. And he wanted food and a weapon. And uh, there was no common bread in the temple, only the show bread. And the priest was concerned that, that they were pure or, or whether they were pure so they could eat the bread. David assured him that him and his men that he was going to be meeting had kept themselves from women for three days. So everything was cool. And... Uh, Lastly, he left in such haste that he didn't have time to even grab a weapon, so he talked him out of Saul's sword. So from there, he, he uh, fled down into enemy territory to hide from Saul, down to Gath. 
A little side note on this psalm. Some have said that it's not inspired by God. It shouldn't be part of the canon because there seems to be a contradiction, contradiction with the names. In Samuel 21.10, it says that David fled from Saul and went to Achish, king of Gath. And in Psalm 34, recounting the same story, it says of David who pretended to be insane before Abimelech. So who was it and why the different names? Well, in Samuel, Achish, his proper name was given, and in the psalm, it was Abimelech, his title. Now, this was the same as the kings of Egypt, the rulers of Egypt. They were called Pharaoh. This wasn't their given name, but it was their title. And the same with the Amalekite kings who were known as Agag, and that's just to name a few. So it was the same person. So David thought he could just go down to Gath and lay low and hide out with the enemies. And it wasn't long that the servant said to the king, Hey, isn't this David, the king of the land? They said, Isn't this who they used to sing about? Saul has killed his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. And in uh, 1 Samuel 21, 11, it says, He took these words to heart and became extremely fearful. So I think this was a huge turning point for him. Because uh, that's when he played the madman. He started scrabbling and scratching at the doors of the gate and letting spit run out his beard. I think the next question would have been, isn't this the guy that killed our giant? But he didn't make it that far. So David probably figured that he was a dead man at this point. And I believe this is when he was calling out to the Lord. Even then, though, it wasn't, well, Achish believed his story. And fortunately for David, even then, it wasn't proper to execute somebody that was insane. So they just threw him out of the land. Then he escaped and fled to Adullam, where in 1 Samuel 22, 1, it says that when his brethren and his father's household and all that were discontent in debt and in distress, they all met him there, about 400 men. So the psalm can be broken into two segments, really, the song and the sermon. And now we're going we're gonna to look into verses 1 through 10. Verse 1, here's what David purposed to do. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. Now, if you don't have a, a scripture that's your favorite scripture or one that's on the refrigerator or on the TV or somewhere in the house where you can see it every day, this is a great one. Because no matter what's happening, if you think about it, the Lord is worthy to be praised. Like David said, he realized that at all times, no matter what's going on. Now, prior to this, David had lost sight of the power of God. And this is significant in the story here because... He knew better by his own admission. In 1 Samuel 17, verses 33 through 37, and I'll just summarize it. It says, uh, it's the account where he went before uh, the giant. And Saul said, you can't fight this giant. You're but a youth. And he said, or and, and uh, Saul has been a warrior since his youth. But he said, I've been watching my father's sheep. And uh, when a lion or a bear would come in and steal a lamb from the flock, I would chase after it. 
I struck it and delivered the lamb. And when he turned on me, I grabbed it by the beard, struck it, and killed it. So he said, your servant has killed the lion and the lamb, and this uncircumcised Philistine, or this heathen, in other words, is going to be just like one of them. So the key verse is verse 37, where he says, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. So now, as he's looking back in this psalm, he repents of this attitude of forgetting that very truth. He repented of taking things into his own hands and purpose to praise God at all times. So he spoke to the guys in the cave and said, verse 2 through 3, My soul will boast in the Lord. Let the afflicted, or as the King James says, let the humble hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name forever. And I think this is an amazing attitude here because Saul, or not Saul, because David is still being hunted by Saul. And at this point, instead of stirring these 400 men into anger, into vengeance, he urges them to praise God. I think there's a reason why the Lord calls David a man after his own heart. Now David remembers standing before Achish in verse 4 here. He says, I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. In verse 5, those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. He's seeing there's a liberty to taking his eyes off of his problem, just as well as we could glean from that, and crying out to God. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Psalm 20, verse 7. So verse 6, this poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him from all his troubles. I believe this is one of those prayers that we would see Nehemiah pray later on. This one's always stood out to me. It's uh, in Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, where... Nehemiah is the king's cupbearer. He has to taste the food so that the king doesn't get poisoned. And he brings wine in before the king, and he's distraught because his homeland has been pillaged and burned by fire. It's in ruins. So he's lamenting. Uh, the king asked him, why do you come in sad before me when you're not even ill? And that was a, a crime punishable by death. You didn't just come before the king sad for no reason. That was... You were to honor the, the position that was, you were to come joyfully before him. So Nehemiah says he was afraid, but he answered the king and said, the, the place of my father's burial is pillaged and in ruins and the gates are burned with fire. Why should I not be sad? And uh, the king asked, what would you have me do? What do you want? And the key, the key verse here is, it says, verse 5, then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king. That doesn't really leave a lot of times for a lofty prayer. And the King James says it in a way that even seems faster. It says, then I prayed to the God of heaven and said. So if you couldn't keep the king, or I mean, if you couldn't come before the king sad without cause, certainly you couldn't keep him waiting in silence while you're praying. I think that was one of these help, 
help Lord, you know, just a quick prayer, and then God saw his heart and, and answered him. And that's much the way I think that David prayed here, because I don't see him calling out to the Lord anywhere in Scripture, and he went down to Gath voluntarily on his own free will. Uh, you know, I think he was assured that everything was going to be okay, but when things crumbled, now he calls out to the Lord. So in verses 7 through 10, David realized that it's God who protects, and he speaks of the blessings of fearing the Lord and taking refuge in him. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. Commentator John Phillips says that if we had other larger eyes than our own, we could see in the air the mighty countless host of hell, those fearful principalities and powers, those rulers of the world's darkness, those wicked spirits in high places that Paul talks about in Ephesians 6.12, battling to stumble us, to cause division, wreak whatever havoc he can in our lives. But we would also see the resplendent ranks of the shining ones, the mighty angels of God drawn up in battle array to protect and preserve us. And truly, we don't battle against flesh and blood, but our battle is a spiritual battle if anyone hasn't noticed yet. <laughs> so as David recounts this, he was not only blessed to be delivered physically from the Philistines through this, but he was also blessed to have been drawn into a closer relationship with God through the ordeal. Look how he boasts to the Lord with this renewed confidence and faith in verses 8 through 10. I just see this as fervent encouragement with intentionality with just an excited elevated voice taste and see that the Lord is good blessed is the man who takes refuge in him fear the Lord you his saints for those who fear him lack nothing verse 10 the lions may grow weak and hungry but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing now the lion is the ultimate picture of strength it's the king king of the beast and uh, he's saying here that the fierce and mighty lion and all its strength and power might not be able to provide for itself, but when our hope is in him, we have his provision. Verse 84, 11b says, No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Now that's not perfect, but as we've looked at before, blameless is just being above reproach. People shouldn't be able to say ought against us. So the first half of this psalm is a song, and really the second half, even though it's a song, it sounds more like a sermon. David now gathers his men together. He calls them to attention to give them instruction. Remember, these are the men that had left King Saul. They were discontent with his leadership. They were discontent with the way things were going on. They were unhappy. They had chosen David. They were, their allegiance was with him, and they loved him. So really, he had a, a captive audience. Now, David may have thought that he had a spe specific audience when he wrote this, but the Holy Spirit also had us in mind as well, and all the saints. Verse 11, Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. And he's saying the Lord and no one else is going to govern this camp. Now in these next five verses in 12 through 16, 
David encourages his men to live right despite their circumstances. And roughly a thousand years later, Peter quotes the same passage in 1 Peter 3, 10 through 12, to encourage the persecuted believers to live right despite their hardships, to live in peace, to have compassion, to love his brothers, not to repay evil for evil or insult for insult, but with blessing, because this is the calling of Christians, that you may inherit a blessing. So David just encouraged them to, to live right. Peter here says, you're going to inherit a blessing. There's going to be rewards for obedience, for doing the right thing. Verse 12, whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, and we'll stop there for a second. John Phillips notes that with this verse here, it would have really gripped the attention of these men because they, they were ref, refugees, really, or they were, they were uh, deserters from Saul. They were living away from the comforts of home, and they also lived with the, basically the hanging man's noose around their neck. So how do we see good days? Verse 13, here's how you see many good days. Number one, take heed to your words. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking lies. I think this was still painfully fresh in his memory from his experience with Ahimelech. I think he was probably trying to protect him and not being truthful, but uh, he ended up, Saul ended up killing Ahimelech for treason along with 85 other priests and pretty much the whole town. So it didn't affect David personally, but there was repercussions for that. Take heed to your walk, verse 14. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Now, pursue means that there's work involved. It doesn't just come. You're going to have to take some effort. Matthew 5, 9 says, Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. And if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with all men, with everyone. Now, this isn't uh, peace without any cost. Jesus didn't teach that. He actually taught in Matthew 10:34, I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. And that was in regards to salvation. If, if one chose their parents, their mother or father over Jesus, he said, you're not worthy to follow me. And same with children or anybody before the Lord. So as far as it's possible. Peter says in 1 Peter 2.9, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. And uh, as you probably noticed, um, I quote the King James verses a lot. I spent the first 10 years in King James, and I like to contrast there's some color in there. The King James says, You're a peculiar people, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into the wonderful light. And I say peculiar people act in peculiar ways. They don't act as the world acts. You know, How do we react to trouble? Romans 12.20, If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Now, to the world, that's definitely peculiar. In doing so, you'll heap burning coals of fire on his head. 
peculiar people also praise God in the midst of trouble. Verse 15, take heed to your works. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry. We have to think about what is the motivation for the things we do as believers, the deeds that we do. Just like Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians, Corinthians 13, if you do anything without love behind your motive, it's all for nothing. If we do them to be seen by men, it says there's your reward by men. Worthless. Verse 16. Now this verse speaks of those who, who are against the Lord. It says, The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from off the earth. Now first I wrote, now there's an everlasting legacy, but really, if you think about it, it's, it's not. It says he's going to cut off even their memory. That's just about as shameful as you can get. Verse 17, the righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. Like the verse in James 5.16b, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And again, the King James, the fervent and effectual prayer of a righteous man avails much. So in that prayer, there's, there's a fervency, there's, there's emotion, and we can't discount what that, what that does. God hears that prayer. He hears a quick prayer, but he also hears your emotional cry, your plea. Verse 18, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Proverbs 15, 29 says that the Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. And Matthew Henry, that old time man of God from the 1800s says that first it's the character of the righteous that God hears that they be of a broken heart and a contrite spirit or a humble spirit in other words you're humbled by the presence of sin in your life and emptied of self we're supposed to have uh, a disdain for sin in our life to be sorry for it not to be comfortable in it in James 4, 6, he quotes Proverbs 3.34 and says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5.4, Jesus said, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be called the sons of God. Now this is, uh, it can be mourning many things, but especially those who mourn their sinful condition. And that's the opposite of a common tendency of men to compare down. Uh, my sin doesn't look so bad if I can find somebody else that seems to be worse than me, but God doesn't see it that way. And Jesus rebukes that very issue in Luke 18, 9 through 14, where the Pharisee is, is praying with the, the tax collector. Just jot that down and look it up. But the Pharisee is comparing down. Verse 19, a righteous man may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. And again, the King James says, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. 
So we're guaranteed to, to go through the fire at some time. David knew this firsthand and is encouraging his men and us through the Holy Spirit to trust in God's provision and protection. So we're not going to be exempt from the troubles. On the contrary, it's, we're going to see a lot of them, and it's how we deal with them that makes the difference. Is it a, do we deal with them in a way that's worthy of the gospel? How do we respond? Well, if you look at the Beatitudes, God gives you a, a pretty clear picture on how we're to respond, and it's in meekness and humility. Anybody remember the song by Mac Davis? Oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. Yeah, that's, that's not it. <laughs> Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so that you may be complete and mature, not lacking in anything. James 1, 2, and 4. Now that sounds easier said than done, but it's something that we have to embrace. Each time something comes, how do we react to it? I think there's a willful choice there. Do you jump into the flesh, or do you turn it over to God? I think uh, David has really learned that lesson here. And it's a good thing that we can't pick and choose the scriptures that we want to obey, all of them. For some of us, like David, this ability to trust doesn't just come automatically. Uh, but we see that throughout scriptures. The children of Israel, they had God's provision day and night, food, weather, and yet they, turn, they turned. You know, And we can look at them clearly and say, how can they forget? But it's just a common tendency of man to, to forget. So that's why we have so many illustrations and teachings on that. So the reminder usually comes in the way of a trial, and usually it's something that's so far out of our control that, that we must cry out to God. He will bring us to call out to Him. But how much easier it would be just to turn to Him first. You know, uh, Proverbs 16.3 says to commit your ways to the Lord and He will establish your ways. He will, he will establish your plans, your plans will succeed. So, some things we may see as just a no-brainer, you know, I'm just going to do this, and, but God may have a lot of different plans for this, for what you're doing. So, it's important to commit your way to Him. And I just have to tell you this little side story from a men's conference where Lee Strobel told a story. This was when he worked at the Chicago Tribune. Um, he had a... Uh, a boss or a co-worker that was very antagonistic to the gospel. But he was in his office and he said, the Lord told him, go share with Joe. He said, I said, what? He says, go share with Joe. And he says, he, you know, he, he wrestled with it and then he just said, all right, I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to trust in you. So he went and, uh, hey, Joe, I want to invite you to the Easter service down at the Moody Church in Chicago, you know. Joe says, are you crazy? You know I don't even believe in God. What are you doing in here? So he said, all right. And he walked out. So about six months later, a guy comes up and said, Mr. Strobel, I just want to thank you so much. He says, you changed my life forever. I got saved. My wife got saved. And he was just going on into this excited speech. 
Lee says, wait, 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 I don't even know who you are, what? He says, I was in the office when you came in and invited Joe to church. He said, I was on my hands and knees laying tile, and I was struggling. And so he took that encouragement, and so a family saved because of that obedience. So verse 20, this verse, uh, commentators agree that it was prophetic in nature, and it, fulfilled, it was fulfilled in John 19.33 and 36 on the cross where the soldiers saw that Jesus was already dead and they didn't break his bones. And it says this happened so that scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones would be broken. And that's from Psalm 34. Verse 21, evil will slay the wicked. The foes of the righteous will be condemned. So he's relinquished control of the situation in the cave and remember, he's not on the offensive here. He's on the defense. He's just been running, trying to get away. He's not chasing him. So in essence, he's saying, Saul is chasing me unjustly. Uh, let the wicked kill the wicked, or let evil slay the wicked, but I'm not going to touch the Lord's anointed. And he never did aggress or be the aggressor in that situation. And that was his heart all along. So verse 22, the Lord redeems his servants. No one will be condemned who takes refuge in him. How awesome it is to be covered by the blood of Jesus, to receive his grace and mercy, all for just believing and trusting in him. And I think that's the key is to really trust in him. So I'm going to read a passage out of 1 Peter. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and unto an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Oh, we're going to close there. Have the worship team come on up. Father in heaven, we're thankful for your word and pray now that you would just help us to remember, Lord, to be mindful of our attitudes, Lord, when, when trials come. We may not be chased um, by a man that's trying to kill us, Lord, but there's many, many afflictions of the righteous that, that come our way. Lord, whatever it may be, we pray that we would look to you first, that we would, we would be eager, Lord, to cast our cares on you, Lord, who provides for us you're more than willing if we would just step out and trust. So grow that in us and make these words applicable, applicable to our life, applicable. Father God, we commit these things to you in Jesus' name. Amen.